longer you have before aphids get active, the less yield impact there'll be on the crop. So the earlier crops are infected with BYDB, the more it matters for yield. So you're trying to get to growth stage 31 before the aphids are very active. Spring cereals planted about 10 days ago are emerging to the relief of all farmers. However, others in heavier land towards the northeast are still struggling to finish off cereal planting. All of these late planted crops are now facing many challenges in the coming months to achieve high yield. One of the first threats is a, a flying nature with aphid populations expected to increase rapidly with the increasing temperatures. You are listening to the latest episode of The Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. We would really appreciate it if you could listen, follow and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. I'm joined again by Dr. Louise McNamara, an entomologist in Chagas and Carlo, to discuss the threat of aphids passing on BYDV to late planted crops. Louise, the weather is warming up quite significantly at the moment. How quickly will that affect the multiplication of aphids out there? Aphids will be more active and definitely multiply quicker as it gets milder and warmer. I suppose the rate and the optimum temperature really depends on the species. Um, but a good kind of guide is the 170 degree day model, which kind of says that every 170 degree days, aphids uh, double in number, um, which basically is the average temperature minus three. So say if you had um, 10, 20 degree days in a row, that's 170 degree days. So the aphids would double in number. Um, and I suppose it's important to note when you think of the speed at which they're doubling and, and multiplying in the field, that every um, aphid is actually born with the next two generations alive inside of them. So kind of like a, a stacking doll. So you'd have um, the grandmother, the mother and the offspring all at one time. So they have the ability to reproduce in the field really quickly. It hasn't warmed up that quickly. So they're, they're only at the starting phase of that. But I suppose most of those aphids are probably coming from, are they all coming from cereals or did they come from a bit further afield from grassland and hedgerows and bits and pieces like that? Yeah, so again, it depends on the species. So when you think of um, BYDV, which is obviously what we're, we're most concerned about in cereals, um, there's around like 25 species of aphids that can spread BYGV. Um, the three main ones we're interested in and most worried about is the grain aphid, the bird cherry oat aphid and the rose grain aphid. And they would each have um, different main hosts. So they would alternate hosts uh, depending on the weather. Um, the grain aphids will probably have come from cereals or grasses. Other ones might come from woody hosts. So it depends um, on the species you're thinking of. Okay. And in, in terms of coming from existing winter cereal crops, are there many reports of BYDV out there in those winter cereal crops this year? So reports are starting to come in and um, there is some fields with a good bit of BYDV, but thankfully it's not widespread. It probably depends on when it was planted. Some people weren't able to get out and apply insecticide because the weather was very mixed over the winter. So um, yes, there is some cases of kind of good levels of BYDV, but thankfully it's not the majority. Not for that. Okay. Yeah. Jumping into the, the spring crops out there, they're probably split into about three different parts. There's some of the very early sown stuff probably sown in February and maybe very early mm -hmm. parts of March. There was a little bit, not a lot now in first, but a little bit sown in March. And then the majority was probably sown, I suppose, maybe a week ago. And, and some uh, growers are probably under tractors at the moment kind of shouting that the thing kind of saying, I'm still sowing me barley, but there's all those kind of different ones. We might maybe take each of them in turn in terms mm -hmm. of their risk for BYDV as regards uh, how aphids can spread it in there. 
Yeah, so I suppose first to explain uh, why different plant dates are at risk first for it to, to make sense is to do with temperature. So as we said, when it's milder, aphids are moving more, reproducing more and spreading virus more. So the idea is if you plant earlier in the spring before the temperatures have warmed up, then the aphids won't be as active. Um, and the longer you have before aphids get active, the less yield impact there'll be on the crop. So the earlier crops are infected with BYDV, the more it matters for yield. So you're trying to get to growth stage 31 before the aphids um, are very active. So when you're thinking of crops planted in February or or early March, um, which some crops were, they would be considered lower risk because aphids won't have been as active then. And then when you think of the ones planted uh, in late April or or kind of start start of May, which a lot have been this year because the weather's been very mixed, those would be considered you know much higher risk because it's warmer and the aphids are active. So there's a higher chance aphids will get into the crop early and spread infection. Okay, so the late ones, the ones that are really at risk this year. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of the uh, mitigating that risk, uh, in tr- is it the ideal time to apply an apicide? Is it the two to three leaf stage, three to four leaf stage, or is it when you get the early t- kind of tiller and stage? What's the ideal? So Tom Kennedy did extensive work on spray timings and tested many um, timings based on growth stage and also multiple sprays, up to four or five sprays. And he found that what's most um, effective and gives the most control is a single spray at growth stage 14. Um, and even when he did multiple sprays, he found that the majority of the control came from that spray at growth stage 14. Now, in a very mild spring, you're not going to be able to remove all aphids and BYDV because, you know, your spray might only give control for maybe around seven days. It depends on on the UV light breaking and the chemistry. So you're not going to be able to have zero probably BYDV when there's high pressure. So you're trying to get the max amount covered and that that's shown to be around growth stage 14. Okay. And I suppose maybe it has been a long time, I suppose, before says growers have planted barley in May. And as you say, say that the risk is quite a bit higher there. Should those growers be considering more than one application of an aphicide? The research has shown that that one is most is most effective. Um now a lot of the research was done in May or sorry in March and April, not on on May uh, planted crops because that wouldn't be the norm. But the worry about putting out multiple sprays of the same chemistry is that it drives uh, resistance selection. So that's why you kind of want to stay away from that where we don't have to. And I suppose there's a bit of confusion potentially out there in terms of the. Um... As you say, they're the same chemistry, but people mm-hmm. are, you know, farmers are actually buying, I suppose, containers of insecticides that have different names on them. Mm-hmm. But are most of those pretty much all the same active ingredients in the background, are they? Yeah, so there will be different brand names, um, but there's really just pyrethroids, um, the most common being lambda xylohatrin. But they're all, what's available now is is pretty much all the same thing. So it's just different versions of pyrethroids okay. but it's the same chemistry it's got the same mode of action it's like coke in a different bottle but the same thing really yeah so regardless of what it says you know the brand name or whatever it's it's acting on the same um part of the aphid so if you keep putting out the same chemistry um there you're putting pressure on resistance to develop there okay and, and talking about that resistance uh, louise how has that developed over the past couple of years with the the absence of some of the um, uh, some of the other chemistries that have been banned. 
So yeah, we have a, a PhD student, Max, who is serving uh, winter barley fields, so 50 fields a year across the major tillage growing areas. Um, and he's looking at the percentage of grain aphids displaying resistance. This was done previously by Lael Walsh um, before neonicotinoids were banned. And now we're doing it uh, post the ban of neonicotinoids. Now, the percentage of um, resistance is very variable depending on the year. Um, in one year, it was 35%, and the next, it was 2%. Um, and we're doing a third year of it this year to try and, and draw more clear conclusions. So it's it's not straightforward. We can't say exactly yet how the loss of neonicotinoids has affected it. It's also worth noting that we had um, isoclast transform, which is a sulfloxflor as well, up until the season just gone, which was probably also helping with resistance management because it was a different mode of action than pyrethroids. Is there about the control level that we're getting from the pyrethroids are still regarded as relatively good? Can we say that? Yeah, so in the majority of fields, the control is still is still efficient. Um, so yeah, we've done trials across a number of years looking at new nicotinoids versus pyrethroids versus sulfloxfluor. Um, and the pyrethroids are still performing well on, on the majority sites. Obviously, we can't tell if we look at a, at a farmer's field if the aphids um, have resistance or not or what percentage resistance by all you have to test them in a lab. But the majority of fields, the resistance or sorry, the control will still be uh, reasonably good. And in terms of that resistance uh, part, is it it's impossible to say if what an aphid is or not, but can a farmer... Uh, do anything in the field to try and figure out whether there's resistance in their fields or not? Is it the best indication of if you have spray failure or if, if there's resistance in the field? If you go out um, like a, a few days or maybe a week, less than a week after spraying, and you see um, if it's in the field that all look to be the same species or um, they need to be unwinged, then that would suggest they survived um, the treatment. If they're winged, it could mean that they just flew in since the treatment. You know, the treatment might, depending on the time of year, the treatment might last um, a week or more or less, depending on, on UV light breaking it down. But if after spraying, the farmer sees live aphids in the field that all look the same color or or similar and they're not winged, they could be aphids that have survived the application, the resistance ones. And if you put out more sprays, you're selecting for resistance. And the period of time, Louise, to look for that is is within two or three days or earlier after post-spring? Probably, yeah, two or three days. Two or three days, okay. And if you have a farmer that has a field of, uh, say, winter barley uh, with a reasonable level of BYDV in it, and the, there's going to be spring barley planted or has been planted very close to that. Is that field of a, a higher risk of getting BYDV because there's some beside it, if you like? Yeah, so um, aphids can come into the field and BYDV into the field in a number of ways. So they can come in from long distance migration where they're flying in if the temperature is optimal, like um, 12, 15 degrees, it's not too windy, um, it's not raining heavy, they can fly in from, from good distances, um, but at suboptimal conditions, so it doesn't have to be as warm, um, they can actually do short migration, so short flight, or they can just walk. So if there is um, crops with BYDV or maybe volunteers or hedges or arable margins that have BYDV 
and aphids, then they are a risk to the croc. They don't have to travel very far. So you don't need those really optimal conditions for movement. Grassland as well nearby would also be a risk. Okay. And, and is it the case that all aphids carry BYDV or is it only some of them? No, so there's around um, 25-ish species that carry BYDV. Well, it's BYDV and CYDV. So there's 11 different strains um, that make up barley or cereal yellow dwarf virus. Um, and their different species will carry one or more strains of it, and they carry it at different levels of efficiency. Um, but the ones, as I said earlier, we're more interested in and are considered the most risk here are the grain aphid, the barcherio aphid, and um, the rose grain aphid. And for those three types, so those three species of aphids, do all of those have the BYDV strains in them, if you like? And so, yeah, they can pick up BYDV. They only pick it up by feeding on a crop that's infected with it, and then they carry it by feeding on the next crop. So they're not born with it. They pick it up by feeding. Um, and then the strains, I suppose, if you want to think about the strains that are are they're transmitting in Ireland. So the species of the strain helps us know which aphids are the main aphids vectoring them. So we did a, a sequencing survey of uh, symptomatic barley in 2021 and 2022 across the major tillage growing regions. And the most common species we found was BYDV MAV which is most commonly spread by the green aphid. But we also found some PAV and PAS, which are our other strains, uh, less frequently. And we found one um, sample of CYDV or PS. So that's a more severe strain. And in terms of the MAV, PAV uh, and PAS, are they mildish, are they? Are they the, the mild types? So it uh, MAV would be considered mild milder than others. PAS is considered um, more severe. PAS isn't like we didn't know that was in Ireland and um, that's newly identified here. Um, it depends whether it's severe or not. The infection depends on more than just the species. It also depends on when the crop became infected. So if it's infected early, it's more severe. It's not just the strain that matters. The final question, Louise, I just wanted to ask you is around um, you have a lot of research going on at the moment. You have the large towers you have yellow traps out on many different farmer uh, farmers' fields, uh, and you're using this PCR analysis as you mentioned before. How close do you think you are in terms of modifying the, the standard advice that we've been working towards over the last number of years? So the research we're doing is part of the aid project funded by Chagas. It's a it's a four year project. We're only in year one, um. So we will be testing these different monitoring tools for and, and tolerant varieties for four years. We will communicate the research to farmers as we go on, but we won't change advice until something is tested for multiple years and found to be reproducible and robust because BYDV levels, as farmers will see themselves, is very different depending on the year. Some years it might be very low, other years it could be very high. So, you know, it has to be tested for several years and we will only change the standard advice if what we find it is better. Um, so for now, you know, we we base our advice off growth stage, which is based on many trials um, and is found to be reproducible um, and robust. And so the the project will be four years in length for a year in. Um, the, the results will be presented at the tillage conference and the open day every year to keep people updated. But we won't change the advice until we're sure it's better. Sure. As ever, Louise, thanks very much for your time. Uh, it's great to know that. Not only the, uh, the, the the advice we have at the moment is very sound, but it, it, it will in time be uh, 
uh, I, I suppose, nuanced so that we get a little bit more specific as regards to what's happening in your tier basis. Thanks again, yeah, exactly. Thank you. So that's it for this week, and my thanks to Louise for joining me on the show. Keep an eye out for local Chagas crop walks coming to your area in the coming weeks. These walks will go through the crop agronomy needs for crops in 2023. For more details about these walks, go to chargis.ie forward slash events. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chargis.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.